0: And welcome to the D.C. Debrief for Friday, December 1st, 2023. I'm your host, John Stolnes. And coming up, Capitol Hill debates Israel and Ukraine funding. Hunter Biden wants to testify. Santos stands his ground. And Democratic Senator Joe Manchin speaks to CBN about his political future and potential presidential aspirations. All that coming up on this week's edition of the D.C. Debrief. Just a friendly reminder from your neighborhood podcaster to tell a friend or family member about this here fine podcast, the DC Debrief, the weekly look back at the biggest stories in Washington, DC. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can get podcasts. There we are. So please also leave a five star rating and maybe even a review on Apple Podcasts if you listen to us there. All right, everybody, let's get to the debrief for this week. To fund or not to fund Capitol Hill spent much of the week debating how to fund the war efforts of US allies, Israel and Ukraine. But with many different paths forward that are slowing things down that are slowing that funding down. Pardon me. CBN's Caitlin Burke has the latest on the funding wheeling and dealing and the obstacles to getting something passed. We passed the bipartisan Israel support package out of the House. A while ago it's been sitting on this in the senate and on chuck schumer's desk and so
1: we are encouraging him to get that done speaking in florida monday house speaker mike johnson said he believes congress will reach an agreement before the holidays but as two separate packages what
0: we've said is that if there is to be additional assistance to ukraine which most members of congress believe is important we have to also work in changing our own border policy. And so there's been a lot of thoughtful negotiation ongoing uh, with that. I think most of our Senate colleagues recognize that those two things need to move together.
1: Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, however, wrote to fellow Democrats Sunday that he plans to bring a national security package to the floor as soon as next week, tying Israel and Ukraine funding together. That bill would also address border security and a number of other foreign policy issues. Meanwhile, Democrats also face pressure from lawmakers critical of Israel's war in Gaza. During a recent media gathering, President Biden said the question of aid to Israel with conditions was, quote, a worthwhile thought. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan clarified that statement on NBC's Meet the Press, saying the current U.S. approach is working.
0: The approach that he is taking direct presidential diplomacy behind closed doors with the Israelis and with our Arab partners, that's what's generating the kinds
2: of results that we're seeing right now. That's the course that he's on.
1: Another sticking point centers around how these aid packages will be funded. Republicans propose cuts to IRS funding, something Democrats are not expected to back.
0: Hunter Biden wants to testify. The president's son, in response to a subpoena from Republicans on the House Oversight Committee, said he is ready to testify, but will only do so in an open hearing. Republican Chairman James Comer is balking at that, saying the first line of questioning should come in a closed door deposition. Two months ago, Comer seemed open to the idea of Biden testifying in any format.
1: Hunter Biden's more than welcome to come
3: in front of the committee. If he wants to clear his good name. if he wants to come and say, you know, these weren't 20
0: shell companies, they actually did something. Uh, he's more than he's invited today. Now, however, he's rebuffing Biden's offer to testify openly and blaming Democrats on the committee as the reason why. Where well, we need to sit down and ask specific substantive questions without filibustering, without interruptions, without going five minutes back and forth with with Jamie Raskins and Dan Goldman and and uh, little Moskowitz jumping up and down. Uh, five, uh, Filing motions and trying to disrupt the committee hearings. Republican Senator Josh Hawley is one who thinks Biden should be allowed to testify in an open hearing. My view is that the American people have a right to see. And also, you know, they should evaluate this for themselves. I mean, if you do this stuff in private, what happens is. There's inevitably bunches of leaks and then it's, it's you know, well, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. It's like, oh, just do it in public and let the public see, Let open the doors so y'all can report on it. Republicans on the committee say they expect Biden to appear for the deposition on December 13th regardless. Government officials speaking out on Israel. With the war in Gaza now in its seventh week, voices in the U.S. government are making themselves heard. But... Both in, both in support of Israel and in calling for a halt in what they say is Israeli military aggression against Palestinians. So both sides making their voices heard. One of the fiercest supporters of Israel has been Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. He's the highest ranking Jewish politician in American history. He delivered a strong speech on the Senate floor this week in opposition of anti-Semitism. CBN Washington correspondent Jenna Browder has more.
2: I am speaking up to issue a warning informed by lessons of history too often forgotten. No matter what our beliefs, no matter where we stand on the war in Gaza, All of us must condemn anti-Semitism with full-throated clarity wherever we see it before it metastasizes into something even worse.
4: Majority Leader Schumer warned against blaming Jews for Israeli policy and cautioned not to allow criticism of government to turn into something much darker.
2: Some of the most extreme rhetoric against Israel has emboldened anti-Semites who are attacking Jewish people simply because they are Jewish.
4: Schumer said younger Americans especially seem to be jumping to support a cause and message they don't understand.
2: I believe there are plenty of people who chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, not because they hate Jewish people, but because they support a better future for Palestinians. But there is no question that Hamas and other terrorist organizations have used this slogan to represent their intention to eliminate Jewish people, not only from Israel, but from every corner of the earth.
4: The majority leader's address comes as a growing number of government officials and federal workers are criticizing President Biden's support of Israel and its war on Hamas. We are congressional staffers on Capitol Hill, and we are no longer comfortable being silent. More than 100 congressional staffers recently staged a walkout, and hundreds of federal political appointees and staffers signed a letter demanding President Biden pursue an Israeli ceasefire and take immediate action to end Palestinian casualties. In another instance, a top CIA official posted a pro-Palestinian image to her Facebook page. A public political statement former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says is unacceptable.
2: I'm struggling for words because it is so far out of bounds, right? Right. It is so disconnected from the fundamental role that they have.
4: Over in the House, a vote Tuesday on legislation reaffirming Israel's right to exist and condemning Hamas did not receive unanimous support. Representative Cory Bush, a Democrat from Missouri, refused to vote for either measure. And Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan voted present for the resolution, which centered on Israel's existence. Jenna Browder, CBN News, Washington.
0: Santos expelled. Well, it finally happened. Embattled Republican Congressman George Santos has been expelled from Congress. The vote was 311 to 114, with 105 members of his own party voting to expel him, despite the GOP House leadership voting against. Republican leadership declined to whip the vote meaning they exerted no influence into what their members would do. But again, it should be noted that Republican leadership mostly voted not to expel. Now, earlier in the week, it was expected that Santos was going to step down when he took to the House floor for a speech on Tuesday. After all, he had the House Ethics Committee releasing a blistering report before Thanksgiving, accusing him of violating several House ethics standards and accusing him of multiple corruption crimes. However, acknowledging those sharks encircling him in the waters of his political future, Santos was defiant and said he would not step down. We are now going down a third attempt for a privilege resolution to expel me from the House of Representatives this week. Uh, Just
2: introduced one earlier today and just earlier this evening. We had a second. Here's the case in point. In history, five members of Congress have been
0: expelled. All five had suffered convictions in a court.
2: All five had due process. This expulsion vote simply undermines and underscores the
0: precedent that we've had in this chamber. It is the first time that a member of Congress has been expelled in more than 20 years, and he became just the sixth House member in in history to be forcibly removed. Uh, He had already said that he would not run for reelection in 2024, but now the Republicans have one fewer member of Congress in the caucus. Joe Manchin speaks to CBN. West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin surprised everyone a couple of weeks ago when he announced he was not seeking reelection next year, almost certainly flipping a blue seat in the Senate red. And now there's talk he may run for president as a third party nominee. CBN's Wendy Griffith sat down with him this week to see just how realistic that possibility is.
3: Senator, are you running for president in 2024? You know, those questions have been asked to me so many times, and me not running for Senate has nothing to do with where I think this country should be going. It gives me the time now to go out and see if there's enough other people in America, whether it's me, whether it's someone else.
0: And we'll have more with Wendy in just a minute on her interview with Manchin for our deep dive this week. Weekly Trump date, we're gonna be doing these every week now with uh, Donald Trump still with a huge lead in GOP primary. We're gonna just tell you some of the stuff that Donald Trump has been saying and what some of the priorities appear to be ahead of his potential second stint in office. In a post on Truth Social this week, Donald Trump appeared to threaten or jail reporters who work for the left-leaning MSNBC and use government and use the government to restrict access or shut the network down. He posted, quote, "MSNBC, in parentheses, MSDNC, uses free government-approved airwaves and yet is nothing but a 24-hour hit job on Donald J. Trump and the Republican Party for purposes of election interference. Brian Roberts, its chairman and CEO, is a slimeball who has been able to get away with these constant attacks for years, Trump wrote. It is the world's biggest political contribution to the radical left Democrats who, by the way, are destroying our country. Our so-called government should come down hard on them and make them pay for their illegal political activity. Much more to come. Watch. Now, this is me speaking now. It should be noted that MSNBC does not use free government approved airwaves as it is a cable network. Trump also said this week he's planning on making it a top priority of his next administration should he win in November to repeal Obamacare. Now, Republican Party officials tell CNN they're not enthused about this as a campaign issue as Obamacare has become a part of American life and generally seen, according to public polling, as a net benefit by a majority of Americans, including independents. Tuberville caving. We got indications from Senator Tommy Tuberville this week that he's nearing an end to his efforts to block military promotions in protest of the Pentagon's abortion policy. Tuberville told Republicans this week, he'll work to make some kind of concession, although it's unclear what that will be. Republicans were preparing to work with Democrats to find an end run around his block on military promotions, which both sides of the aisle say has hurt military preparedness. Tuberville, of course, objects to the Pentagon's policy of paying for female service members to travel out of state to have an abortion if they want one. It appears as though Tuberville's hold will be dropped on all military promotions for anything other than four star generals, which almost always result in Senate hearings anyway. The timing on this is unclear, but expect this situation to be resolved soon. Senate Judiciary Meltdown, we don't do a lot of these inside politics topics on the debrief because generally speaking, I don't think they're terribly important. But this one is notable just in the sheer anger that was heard at a Senate Judiciary Committee meeting that took place on Thursday. And this is a committee that generally does a lot of bipartisan work together. Ahead of a vote to issue subpoenas to two conservative donors, Harlan Crow and activist Leonard Leo, as part of the committee's investigation into potential ethics violations by Supreme Court Justices Samuel Alito. and Clarence Thomas, the committee had to approve two judicial nominees that had been previously debated upon before. Several Republican members, and what Democrats say was an effort to slow down the process and make it so that the subpoena vote later would take place after the meeting had gone past two hours, which would have violated Senate committee rules refused to allow a handful of Republican senators in the room from voicing their opposition to the judicial nominees. Take a listen.
4: Mr. Chairman, I would also like to speak on the
1: nomination.
0: I, I understand what you'd like to do, but I'm saying that in fairness, we have debated these nominees twice. and I asked the clerk to call the roll. Um, Mr. Chairman, Mr. you're Chairman, denying
1: us an all opportunity all right. to Mr. speak Come on, on a nominee I mean, the third time. No. Okay, do this. So Just we don't do have it. a right to speak under the rules. Under the third, uh, third time, I'd say no. So you're, so you're just going to make it up? So you, yeah. I'd like There's going to be a lot to, of consequences like coming to speak here. To Mr. You're going to have a lot of consequences coming if you go down this road. You better I've cautioned it. you. I've cautioned a lot of you. The clerk will call the roll. Listen to me. I cautioned a lot of you.
0: All right. So, is everybody following that? The, the Republicans wanted to to be heard on these two judicial nominees. Democrats felt that they only wanted to be heard on these two nominees, which had been voted on two pre or had been debated two previous times, in order to slow down what was to come later in the meeting, because it would have violated Senate rules happening so late in the meeting. Anyway, after the roll call was made, the nominees were passed with 11 Democratic votes and no Republicans voting. Republican members then walked out of the room. Chairman Dick Durbin then called for the vote on the subpoenas at the end of the meeting, which was done without a quorum and without Republicans present, which Senator Ted Cruz said makes the subpoena vote invalid. Republicans like Senator Lindsey Graham have warned Democrats on the committee not to move forward with the subpoenas into the Supreme Court ethics probe, saying it's simply a witch hunt to smear Justice Thomas. Now, again, this could also endanger a number of bipartisan pieces of legislation that normally cordial that the normally cordial committee was working on together. So that's why this story, that's why I'm bringing it up is because they had worked together on gun control legislation and other judicial nominations uh, in, in previous months. But you wonder, could that muddy the waters at all? All right, that'll do it for your debrief. Now let's take our deep dive for this week. A little earlier in the podcast, uh, you heard me play a little bit of sound from Senator Manchin and in his interview with CBN's Wendy Griffith. Obviously, Senator Manchin has been uh, at the center of so much in in Congress, especially after the midterms last year. Uh, And now he is going to be leaving the Senate, uh, deciding not to run for reelection in 2024. And joining me to talk a little bit more about her interview with the Democratic Senator from West Virginia is Wendy Griffith. Wendy, thanks for coming on the D.C. Debrief. How are you?
3: Thanks, John. It's great to be here.
0: It's great to talk to you and uh, Wendy. I know you were in our D.C. bureau this week for your meeting on Capitol Hill. Your interview with uh, with Senator Manchin, and I mean, Senator Manchin has a D next to his last name. He is a Democrat. He caucuses with the Democrats. But I know there have been many occasions over these uh, last few years, especially as the as the margin in the Senate narrowed and and Democrats regained control, that he didn't necessarily go with the flow. Didn't give uh, the Democratic leadership exactly what they wanted. And so, despite that. He, He is going to be a Democrat leaving his Senate seat in a red state. So why did he decide that now is the time for him to step away?
3: I think there were a couple of reasons. When I asked him that question very specifically, he said it was time, you know, when it's your time. I think probably what also factored in is that, uh, you know, he's had this amazing political career. He started uh, boy, I knew him back, I guess, 40 years ago when he was a state senator, and then he went on to be a secretary of state in West Virginia, then governor, and then filled the seat of the very popular Senator Robert C. Byrd, who was one of the longest running senators of West Virginia. So, um, so what's next? Where do you go from here, you know? President, right? Um, and if there was ever going to be a time, and he he said this himself, if there was ever a time that America could be ready for someone who wasn't a Democrat and who wasn't a Republican, he said it would be now. Now if we're going to go out there and see, uh, you know what the uh, you know take the temperature of the people. He said people come up to him all the time and say, "We don't have any place to go," you know. The left is too left and the right is is too extreme. You know, you're our man. So he's hearing this and I think he wants to go now and find out if there really is a, a possibility that people would vote, you know, for a independent.
0: And that's really what his push is here is he's trying to launch a, a no labels party, a third a, a third party, and it seems like now would be An opportune time to do it you have two candidates in president biden and former president donald trump with very low favorability ratings president biden is one of the weakest incumbent presidents in terms of uh job approval rating um that that we've ever seen and uh donald trump certainly has his detractors as well certainly most of them outside the republican party in the primary he is of course dominating in most of the early states that will be voting soon does manchin i mean it's interesting that he's that he's pushing this this third party candidacy. It, did you get the sense when you talk from him that he still does he still consider himself a Democrat? Does he consider himself more independent? Like, how do you think that he sees himself now?
3: He said, you know, maybe it's time to join forces, have a conservative Democrat with a conservative uh, Republican and team up and see if, if America is is ready for that. And um you know, he said, uh, but he did say, you know, if I don't think there's a pathway to victory, I would not run and I would not encourage anyone else to be in, involved. But then he said, but if we can force, which I thought was an interesting word, you know, if we can force the political parties to look different than the, they're looking right now, um, he said, then, you know, he because basically he said we've gotten too extreme, then maybe there's a chance. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, he's just going to go. He's going to do this tour of the country and and talk to people. I did ask him, you know, well, who, who would be your perfect running mate? And of course, he didn't want to go there uh, too soon for that question. But I thought I'd ask anyway.
0: But I mean, it's interesting that he so, accepted the yeah. question of a potential running mate, meaning him at the top of a ticket. And he hasn't come right out and said, you know, I'm running. But he's when he's been asked the question, "Are you considering this?" He has said he's considering all options. And so, did you get the sense from him that he's going to wait until kind of the, the the primaries are are over? Like, what did you get a sense from him as to what his time frame is on any decision making on his part?
3: I know I said, "Do you even have time to do this?" And he <laughs> he um, he looked at me, sort of shocked, like look like well of course you know we, we've got 13 months I mean so he he thinks in in his mind there's plenty of time I think uh the voters we don't feel like there's that much time left um right. but yeah I think he's he wants to hit the road here's something he said to me um you know he said he well, I'm sorry I was just looking for a quote that I um thought was really good he said what's missing is he says I've tried for 13 years, as he's been senator for 13 years, he says, we're not going to change Washington in Washington. Everybody's who's watching or hearing this interview, that's where the changes are going to happen. If you want to find that mainstream middle, that common sense denominator, then you have to, that you have to run, that you want to run your life by your, you don't run your life from the extremes. So he really wants to position himself as the person, if you're, if you are sick and tired of the bipartisanship, if you're sick and tired of the hate, and he even called it evil, he said, you know, what's happening, the extremes have gotten evil. He says he wants to be that person that people can go to, because he said a lot of people are coming up to him and saying we have no place to go. Hmm. So will Joe Manchin be that place to go? You know, that's the question. Everybody wants to know.
0: Now, if he's running as a third party candidate, there is obviously people who will say, you're going to take votes away from Joe Biden. Or on the other side, you're going to take votes away from Donald Trump. And it's not clear at all. I mean, there have been some other third-party candidates that have popped their heads. RFK Jr. obviously had some run there. Um, he, it's unclear exactly whether he has any impact on on the candidates. It seems like he siphons off a little bit from from both in most of the on most of the polling. Um, is he concerned at all about a third party potentially giving one guy or the other an advantage? I mean, would it, it, I guess the, the the point is, as a Democrat, is he concerned about him running as a third party, potentially allowing Donald Trump to win a second term.
3: He said, no, that's ridiculous. He said, did Ross Perot help to get Bill Clinton for that, for that to happen? So but he said, and he also brought up RFK Jr. running and said, you know, he said, think about the time we're living in when somebody with the last name Kennedy is running as an independent, when they had been such, you know, a stronghold of democrats for for years and years so he he literally he really looked and uh sounded excited Manchin did to me about the possibility that america was ripe for an independent
0: is he did, did you get a sense from him that he's concerned about president biden and his ability to handle the job and handle a second term
3: you know i we didn't get uh, really, too much into Biden. Um, I asked him how he, how he thought Biden was handling the war between Israel and Hamas, and mm-hmm. he was complimentary. Uh, he said, "You know, he's in a tough situation and he's doing the best he can." So he had good things to say about him there. But um, I just wanted, you know, we didn't go there. Okay. So, but he, but he has publicly said, you know, that, uh, that I believe he's publicly said that it's too, too far to the left, and, mm. um, and I think we've seen seen that with our own eyes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Congressman Dean Phillips is, is running as a, as a Democrat opponent to Joe Biden and has been complimentary of of President Biden, but just feels like, you know, there's a younger generation that needs to kind of move the ball forward a little bit. So it's it's very interesting here. And and it does seem as though, like I mentioned before, this is ripe for a, a third party to come in and and make some noise, just what kind of noise the, the third party is going to make and whether or not. And I guess this is the this is something that um, he would probably push back against, but a third-party candidate can it be another Washington senator? You know, does it or, or would it? Does a third-party candidate, in order to really make an impact, should it be someone who's kind of non-traditional? Could it be someone who's from outside the political spectrum? Would that not capture the attention of the American American people more? But he on, obviously feels like he is in a good place to be that that alternative, given his bona fides of of running the middle in terms of where where the Senate and where Congress is right now.
3: You know, he is unique. But then when you look at his voting record, he's still, you know, he, he'll talk the talk. But then when it's time to vote, you know, the majority of the time, he still goes with the Democrats. So with that said, a lot of the Republicans are not sad to see him go as a Democrat. They're sad to see him go as a person. He's a very mm-hmm. light person. Um, and he's more of a statesman.
0: Last thing for you, Wendy, you also talked to them a bit about his faith. He's Catholic. How does his faith intersect with his public life?
3: He said, You know, I said, um, You know, how is your faith guiding you right now? And he says, Well, I hope you, you always have your faith and you never lose your faith. Um, and uh, I might have messed up that quote, actually. But anyway, he said, You know, his Catholic faith and his family has always been super important to him. He said he was a privileged child in terms of the love and unconditional love he received. And that God and church and family have always been in, important. And, and he, he talked a little bit about when he was governor and had people come in to pray in the office. And he he did say that he really missed being governor. And that was the best job he ever had because he could be the CEO. He could be he could change lives every single day. He said uh, he said coming to the Senate being one of 100 and all the, the red tape is is. Really difficult, and he even thought he made a huge mistake when he first came to the Senate. And it's funny because uh, Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota told me the same thing. She said, I was born to be uh, a governor. It, she She said the same thing in terms of I like being governor better because I can be a CEO. Mm.
0: That makes a lot of sense get things i mean done yeah i mean that, that absolutely makes a lot of sense and um certainly you have more more to control the congress is pretty out of control right now <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of hoops to jump through to get anything done but it was a great interview uh for anybody who hasn't seen it you can see it over on our website cbnnews.com wendy thank you so much for the interview and thanks for joining us here on the dc debrief to talk about it we appreciate it
3: it was my pleasure thanks for having me john god bless
0: Looking ahead to next week on Tuesday, a couple of hearings we'll be keeping an eye on. The House Judiciary Committee will hold a hearing with oversight of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. FBI Director Christopher Ray will testify. There will also be a House Ways and Means Committee hearing on IRS whistleblowers in the Hunter Biden investigation. That's taking place ten thirty Eastern time. There's also going to be a Senate Finance Committee hearing on drug shortages in America, and we'll also have a House Oversight hearing on the importance of protecting female athletes and Title IX, all that happening on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, you'll have the fourth Republican presidential debate of the 2024 election season being held in Alabama. Next Saturday, December 9th, the GOP presidential candidates will participate in Faith and Family with the Feenstras Forum. Uh, That's happening um, in North Dakota, no, that's uh, happening in Iowa uh, on Saturday, December 9th. All of the main Republican presidential candidates not named Donald Trump will be there. All right, everybody, now it's time for us to get to our closer for this week and two big deaths to talk about of legendary political figures. The first, Henry Kissinger. Uh, Former Secretary of State for President Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. Uh, He was also the first person ever to serve as National Security Advisor and Secretary of State at the same time. He did that for Richard Nixon. He passed away this week at the age of 100. Kissinger largely regarded by conservatives as a lion against communism in the 20th century, among the most powerful and influential political figures of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Of course, um, Kissinger known for pursuing a policy of detente with the Soviet Union, uh, used back channels to forge a relationship with China, uh, and ended that country's isolation from the West, paving the way for President Nixon's historic visit there, was also the first to conduct shuttle diplomacy to try and bring peace to the Middle East after the 1973 Yom Kippur War. He also had his share of critics, his policy of real politic, which Looked at foreign policy pragmatically with um, American uh, uh, American interests first and foremost. Had its critics because they say it prioritized American interests over humanitarian concerns. Specifically critical of the policy of the Nixon White House uh, regarding Cambodia. Um As well as support for overthrowing democratically elected governments in Chile and Argentina with military strongmen aligned with the U.S., he had his he had his staunch supporters. He had his staunch critics, uh, but very few can argue that um, there was another man who had the kind of influence and power over American foreign policy did than Henry Kissinger in the latter part of the 20th century. Again, passing away at 100 years old, also. Passing away on Friday, Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to sit on the Supreme Court, she died at 93. Back in 2018, O'Connor announced that she'd begun dealing with Alzheimer's. At a time when the court was more evenly divided, O'Connor was often the swing vote for many of the big cases that came before the high court once she was appointed uh, by President Reagan in 1981. She was 51 years old. She served for 24 years and was seen as a center-right jurist at the time. She stepped down in 2006 to take care of her ailing husband, who also had dementia, and she was replaced on the court by Samuel Alito, who, as the court has now shifted to the right, was more conservative on issues of the day than she had been. But a trailblazing Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor passed away on Friday at the age of 93. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the D.C. Debrief. Thank you all for tuning in. Remember, tell your friends and family about the podcast. We are everywhere you can find your podcasts. And I look forward to speaking to you all again next week, right here on the D.C. Debrief.